Right, amen. If you look down at um, chapter, uh, chapter 3, where we are there, in verses 9 to 10. So we're looking at Proverbs 3 and verses 9 to 10, which reads, Honour the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The title of my sermon today is, Why do we tithe? Why do we tithe? Um, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you for um, your, your word and your, you know, the many just clear instructions you give us in the Bible, the clear principles in the Bible. Um, help, us, help me to just preach this one just accurately and, and clearly and boldly today. Help everyone to just, you know, listen to it with an open heart and open ears, Lord. Um, film with your spirit, please. Just, just minimise distractions and help everyone to, to be able to really pay attention to what your word's got to say today. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. So what, what is a tithe or tithing? <clears throat> it's paying a tithe, which means a tenth. And the context here and what we're talking about is paying a tenth of our increase or income to God via the local church. Now, on, on this subject, I've never devoted a whole sermon to this before. And really, I should have done. But I'll be honest, it's not a very comfortable thing to be preaching. We've had a lot of issues at this church, obviously, from the beginning, which maybe have, I've felt like have needed preaching more than this particular truth of the Bible. Um, However, it does need preaching, and, and it has come up a few times in our Bible studies over the last couple of years. We've studied, you know, the book of 1 Corinthians, Romans, um, and, and I've kind of touched on it here and there, but I, I have generally felt it's something that our church members are pretty good about, um, that for me, I, don't, I didn't feel it was something that was kind of, right, we need to really preach on, on tithing pretty early on. A lot of people had come, had come here from listening to other good, solid preaching, and were just pretty, pretty on board with this. And in case anyone is wondering, no, no, I wasn't crunching the numbers this week and wondering how I'm going to afford my new tailored suits and stuff. Um, that, that's not the reason we're doing it. Our, our, our church, look, our church is healthy. We do everything within our means at this church. Obviously, the more that the church will receive, the more we're going to do as a church, and the more we can put to the work of God. However, we don't have any issues on, on, on that side of things. Because really, look, tithing is a personal thing between a believer and God. Okay, and I'm going to show you that today. Um, and, but for that reason, it does need regular preaching on. Now, it's something I thought about a little while ago because uh, a, a fairly a newer Christian had asked me a question about it. And, you know, often when someone's asked you, and it's quite a kind of this, you know, obviously it's quite a complex thing, especially because of all the attacks on it, that I couldn't really point him to a sermon of mine. So and usually I want to just point someone to a sermon, right, of the church, which is you know, the church which they go to and, and, and they're involved with. So instead, I kind of ended up having a point to another sermon of a, of a great pastor. I think it was a Pastor Jimenez sermon in the end. And, and I noticed in, his, in one of these sermons he'd done on tithing that he, that he said, right, it's, they call it the fall, we call it autumn. He, I think it was October, he said. Um, so it's booked in for this. He, he preaches one every year. So there's no, oh, he must be preaching because of this reason. No, once a year in October, he preaches on tithing. And, and because it is a truth that, that ultimately affects you and your walk with God, however uncomfortable it is preaching it, because in your mind you think, yeah, I bet there are people here that think, oh, they just want money, because money's an awkward thing, isn't it? And people kind of get uncomfortable about it and everything else. So this isn't necessarily going to be the most fun sermon. However, I thought, well, maybe, and I'll see, I'll see, see how I feel on that and how I'm led, but maybe it's something we'll preach in January. You know, you can't just copy them completely. So I thought maybe, okay, maybe in a January we'll preach, a, it's a new year, we'll preach a sermon on tithing. And it is a truth that people, 
I, I believe also probably need a bit of reassurance about as well because there's a lot of attacks about tithing out there because when it comes to money many people automatically get suspicious don't they okay and for good reason okay for good reason there are false prophets all over the place just ripping people off Okay, there are false prophets everywhere just trying to take your money one way or another, trying to encourage you to give more and more and more because then you're going to get all these, like, you're going to multiply your money if you give them this money. And obviously there's all these false churches where the reason, that, or half the reason that they're there in the first place is because of tithing. It's because the guy up there is thinking, great. And, and some of these guys, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it, what ends up going on in some of these big mega churches. And there is dishonesty everywhere in life anywhere. So it's very hard a lot of the time when you're listening to a sermon on money and things like that, straight away, because we're just so used to everyone trying to rip us off, aren't we? Everyone's trying to rip you off left, right and centre in life, it seems, every, every, everywhere you go, just someone is just trying to rip you off. So automatically we get suspicious about these things. And then sometimes though, sadly, for some it's actually the reason that they get so put off by the topic and it's because of their own maybe greed or covetousness as well. So I want to I want to kind of hit all these points today. Now there are both ends of the scale. Okay, you've got the clown mega church thieves. Okay, and there's a lot of them out there, and these people just ripping people off, fleecing the flock. You know, encouraging more and more and more. Oh, well, the reason that you're poor is because you're not giving us any more. You need to give even more. You need to multiply your income by giving us money, and you've got these sorts of guys. And, and then you've got. You've got obviously in between this as well, you've got the, the kind of lesser ones where, okay, there might not be a mega church, just everything's about money. Everything is a new, oh, we need to raise more money, guys. Every other sermon's about money and cash and, you know, this fund and that fund and this fund. It's like, look, if your church can't afford it, they can't afford it. You know, why are you constantly needing funds? And look, obviously, we've never, ever had to ask for anything here like that. But, and look, some maybe there's a good reason, but it's a lot of the time it's to rip people off. But I'm seeing a lot of the other end of the scale now in this too. And that's, that's the, the ones that are basically trying to knock any form of tithing. And there's a lot of these people out there and I've, I've been seeing these. I think, after, I think having looked for, for trying to find a sermon, because obviously a lot of channels are gone and stuff, of trying to find a good sermon to send to a friend, I ended up then you know the YouTube algorithms <laughs> keep putting up all this why tithing isn't biblical why tithing this and, and look if that's coming up for me I'm sure other people have been exposed to this sort of thing as well and it could put a bit of doubt to your mind that's the idea isn't it this sort of thing and of course a lot of these guys the vast majority are unsaved anyway from what I can tell because I looked into a couple of these the ones with the big views and then you try and look at okay what do these people even believe and 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 a lot of the time they're just heretics but but also they're you know, they're trying to often justify, well, well, it should just be a house church. Should just be six of us in a house. But what are any of them really doing in that house church? Now, just, just a disclaimer here. Look, a lot of good churches started in houses. Okay, you start a church from scratch, you can't just suddenly take on a building and everything else. However, when people just want to stay in a house for the rest of time, that to me seems a bit strange. And often it's because there's nothing biblical about it. There's no ordained leadership there. They just want to come sing kumbaya together and pretend that they're doing the things of God. There's no soul winning. There's no other things going on. Okay, so what, what, what they do, these guys, though, is, is they try and discredit all tithing by lumping everyone in together with the false prophet sort of thief. 
Yeah, and, and it made me think of 2 Peter 2.2. 2. You know, Turner, which says of false prophets, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And there, there's a lot of that in with, with false prophets where, where there's different angles where that verse... I think applies in so many ways and for some it's just the way they behave then just the way of truth is evil spoken to people are just thinking you know what sort of uh, ask, you know tithing must be wicked because look at all these wicked people doing it but there's many ways that can apply as well where people who claim to be Christians are just such a bad testimony you know etc and they they do make the way of truth evil spoken of but but you know, the, the, these anti-tithing, we're just looking out for you and your wallet types, and it seems so genuine. They just really care about you and your money. Really, they're just attacking. And although they're theoretically attacking the false church, ultimately they're, they're also attacking the biblical church as well. Okay, and what it is, it's just another attack on, on the church, and it's a subtle one, and it's, they just group everyone in together. I watched one of these guys recently, okay, and he, like I said, he was sitting in his home justifying just meeting up and singing Kumbaya and, you know, and that's about it. And look, that, that would be great if you actually did something after you sung Kumbaya. Look, you want to meet up and sing Kumbaya together with a guitar and you've actually got some ordained leadership there. The church has come from another church, but it's starting in a house. Great. But what are you doing? What are you actually doing for God? And obviously, often it's nothing. They're sitting there and the most they're doing for God is drinking a cup of tea and, you know, and, and telling each other how spiritual they are. So, okay, I also, by the way, with this as well, so it was something that I, I just feel like, look, I'm, for a while I've been thinking, I'm going to have to preach a sermon on this at some point and other things I've just kind of felt in media preaching. I also got, um, I got an email from this guy a while back. I might have mentioned it from up here before. And he, he emailed me and he said... He said, uh, he gave me the name of some false prophet, yeah. It was like a C of E evangelist, yeah, I mean. And he said, uh, this person, false prophet or not? And I, I was, you know, and, and whatever I said, I, th I think he asked me, he said, false prophet or not? And I literally just clicked his name, went on it. It was so ridiculous, you know, it was like teaching, it, it was teaching repent of your sins and talking in tongues, yeah. I was like, false prophet, okay, straight away. It took like three seconds, yeah. And I'm not saying, look, anyone here would have taken three seconds. So what was the point? But then he's gone, yeah, I thought so too, having saw, seen him teaching about tithing. Yeah, and so this guy, it's like, forget, all, forget the repent of your sins, forget the, you know, forget the tongue speaking, all that rubbish, yeah, and all that, that like nonsense, gifts of the spirit, heresies and stuff. No, 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 because he, he, he taught, about tithing and said that people should tithe. Look, of course he did, he's a false prophet. But however, that doesn't mean that tithing's wrong then, does it? Okay. So anyway, that's his point. But, but for many, and then, and then this is what was funny, is that he then quoted me kind of part of, of Hebrews 7 about Abraham and Levi and Levi basically not being born yet. And went, see? And I was just looking at it going, well, what on earth has that got to do with tithing? Or at least the passage is about tithing, but what's that? How does that disprove tithing? We're going to go to there in a minute. And anyway, I didn't even bother going down that route. I just ignored him, yeah. But point being that the, these guys, they, they, they get this mantra then, and then they're taking these scriptures out of context, going, see, see, it's completely unbiblical. And this guy that I watched, he was just going to all these different, like, he, he was quoting passages, but not actually saying the passage, going like it says in Deuteronomy here, in Deuteronomy 16, like it says in Leviticus 27, but he wasn't actually saying what it said there. 
So instead, what he's really just trying to do is 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 confuse the the vast majority of his kind of of his following who aren't ever going to open their Bible and look at those passages because that would be too complicated and just oh well well he's proved it because he he mentioned some some different chapters that he didn't even read. Okay, so this is what happens with this. So it becomes a hill to die on. It basically comes their gospel if you like. And 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 what's the goal of this? What's the goal of this whole doctrine of devils that, that there's no such thing as tithing? It's to harm the work of God. And that's what it's all about, it's to harm the work of God. So before we get onto that, we're going to look at the principle of tithing and why I believe that it's a way of life for a believer. Turn to Genesis chapter 8. The first time that we see the word tithe used is in Genesis 14, but this isn't the first offering given to God. As early as Genesis 4, Cain and Abel brought offerings to God. And, and as you turn to Genesis 8, I'll just read verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 4. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And of course we see the picture of the blood sacrifice here. But first application really is then bringing an offering to God, isn't it? Okay, as early as Genesis chapter 4... You know, the kind of second generation here, they're bringing an offering to God. And in fact, Adam and Eve, at least they had a part of the garden that was off limits, wasn't there? There was one part, there was that, that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was off limits to Adam and Eve. There was a bit that basically was, well, you could say that was God's, you know, it wasn't for them. And, and in Genesis 8, where you are, in verse 18, Noah's parked up the ark, the earth has dried up. Verse 18 says, And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah, watch this, builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, Look, there could be many reasons and other reasons for this, but bear in mind that of the clean beasts and fowls, they, they went in in sevens, okay? Those are the animals went in two by two, is a bit incorrect, okay? So they went in in sevens. Of the unclean, it was in twos. I reckon he probably offered around about 10% there. That's how I see it. He took, it was one in seven of the clean, and then there was twos of all the unclean that he didn't offer. And, and was that eaten by priests? Did it go to the fatherless and widows, the upkeep of the temple? Because again, this is the sort of arguments I've seen by these people. No, there was none of that stuff yet. It went to the Lord because it was his. It was literally just burnt, it was cooked to the Lord on an altar. What did he burn it on? An altar. Okay, an altar. Guess what an altar's for? Yeah, burning things. <laughs> Killing and burning things. Sacrifices, right? And remember that in a second. Did God say, what are you doing, you idiot? Did God talk out of heaven and go, what on earth are you doing now? Look, all those animals, one out of seven of all those clean beasts. And, and what, what are you doing? Did he say you're wasting it? You could have just done a, just a token one would have done, wouldn't it? You could have just given a picture of maybe the blood sacrifice of one animal. No, look at verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. That means he liked it. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now you could argue that first offering had far-reaching consequences. I don't know. But that seems to be right on the back of that, doesn't it? He's going, right, I'm never, go I'm never more, you know, never, never again going to do this. Jump forward to chapter 12, where Abram is told to leave Haran... 
He's told that in him shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Chapter 12 and verse 5 says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. What was the altar for? Well, for me, the first time we saw an altar in chapter 8, it was for burning animals, yeah? And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Again, he's built an altar. Now you could go, oh, well, it was, you know, it was like made it a religious place. Yeah, he's still building an altar, isn't he? What are they for? Offerings, burnt sacrifices for me. Chapter 13, look at verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now he's very rich, he goes back to the altar. What's the altar for again? For burning. For me, offering sacrifice on the altar. What about the silver and gold? Well... The silver and gold will have come, remember, he's basically a cowboy, wasn't he, okay? So he's selling cattle and things. Well, he's already been, for me, I believe, he's already been offering of his cattle. And we're going to see in a minute, you know, a clear one of this. But for me, that's what's going on here. So he doesn't, obviously, he doesn't then have to burn the silver and gold because he's already theoretically offering of his, of his, of his uh, gain there, of his increase. We then see in that chapter, Lot chooses the well-watered plains of Sodom. He goes for the extra cash, doesn't he, Lot? And it doesn't work out for him. But verse 14, jump to verse 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it unto thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I'll give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now, for me, he's still offering to the Lord. Okay, it didn't, it didn't say, then he did this and he did that. But why is he building all these altars? Now, jump forward to chapter 14 where the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities have lost in battle, okay? So they've basically gone to battle and they've lost and then we see Lot gets taken. It says in verse 14, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. These sound good, these armed trained servants, don't they? And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chidolaoma and, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is in the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And that's, that's um, Abram giving to Melchizedek. And we're going to see that um, in a minute in, in Hebrews 7. In fact, keep a finger there and turn to Hebrews 7. Who, who's this Melchizedek that he's just given him tithes? 
King of Salem. And remember, tithe is 10%. 10% of everything he's just gained there. Okay, King of Salem, which is Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem. He's a priest of the Most High God. He's bringing forth bread and wine. What are they a picture of? The body and blood of Christ. Hebrews 7, okay, we're going to, is basically a passage, like I said, that the tithe dodgers and haters love to change. They love to misuse. They love to, to read in or read out things that are in there. Well, let's have a look at it quickly. Verse 1 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Okay, so, so again, are you wondering who this is? Well, let's keep going, verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So for me, it's pretty clear that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's who, who it is after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 4 says, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So now this is what these people do. They go, see, he only gave a tenth of the spoils. Well, these were the goods, okay? So now remember, Abraham's just been doing all this altar stuff. He's also giving a tenth of all the goods that he got in the battle. And then verse 5 then says, And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood. So remember the Levites, you know, were, were, were at least you had the Levites and then you had the priests that came from Aaron. Have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted for them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. So the Levites received the tithes, having come from Abraham, yet Abraham was paying the tithe to the Lord. Yeah, that's what it's saying here. And verse 7 says, without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So Abraham was blessed by the Lord. Verse 8 says, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Okay, again, Melchizedek being Christ, the Levites being mortal men as opposed to Jesus Christ. Verse 9, And as I may, say, may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So even though Levi wasn't born yet, the tithes that the Levites received were sort of eternally paid to God by Abraham. Okay, now... It didn't say here, you know, what, what the fact that he's in the loins. I think this guy was trying to like, I don't even know what he's trying to say. I think his mantra was that somehow Levi was still around or something. I don't know. Verse 11 says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So although Aaron was a Levite, it was his descendants that were the priesthood. So why did Christ have to come when there was already the priesthood, okay? That's what, what we're seeing here, or what we're asking here. It says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So they'll go, oh, see, no tithing, look. But the law here is referring to the whole thing, isn't it? That the Levitical priesthood were who administered it all, verse 11, 
There's for under it the people received the law under the Levitical priesthood. The meats, drinks, diverse washings, the carnal ordinances. Okay, that's what it's talking about. Verse 13 says, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So it's all changed. No more Levitical priesthood and all of the different offerings for different sins, all that stuff, okay? So much of those carnal ordinances. But including the tithing to the Levites, for sure, because now we've got the, the high priests sprang out of Judah, However, did he say that we no longer pay the first fruits back to God? Did he say we no longer give to, to the Lord the first fruits, the, the, the tithe? Well, no, verse 15 says, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there riseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, referring to Christ. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. That's not tithing. There's nothing weak and unprofitable about tithing. And this is a commandment being the Old Testament law. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. You have to turn to Romans 8, 3 says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't save you, only Christ does that. That's what it's saying, right? Go back to Genesis in chapter 28. In 26, the wealthy Isaac builds another altar. Again, for me, uh, I, you know, that's what the altar's for. And then in chapter 28, his son Jacob, Abraham's grandson, made a vow to God. Chapter 28 and verse 20 says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Yes, Jacob tithed, didn't he? I reckon Isaac did, I reckon Abraham did, I reckon Noah did, I reckon Cain and Abel seemed to as well. And this is long before the law of Moses, isn't it? This is long before any, any Levitical law, this is long before their time. He said, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Who did they give the first 10% to then? So who did they give it to? Well, God in one way or another, and here it's to God's house, which is a stone set for a pillar. And he said, I'm going to give 10% to this stone set for a pillar that shall be God's house. I will give the 10th unto thee. Now, whether he's going to be sacrificing this or however he's going to do that, he's just made that vow, hasn't he? Long before that. And, and look, you don't have to turn there. Leviticus 27, 30, you turn to Acts 4, says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Okay, God says the first 10%, oh, well, that was, that was in the law, that, that was to the nation of Israel. So what's, what's, what's Jacob doing here? What, what was Abraham doing with Melchizedek? They were all giving the first 10%. This is just, this is, it's almost just like, it's just an eternal truth, isn't it? From right at the beginning, and I believe till right at the end, the first 10% is the Lord's. Now, Acts 4 you're turning to and what many people say is they go but the new testament doesn't command tithing it doesn't the new testament doesn't say thou shalt continue tithing but you know what the new testament also doesn't do it doesn't command you to not commit incest did you know that 
So has that changed? Because the New Testament didn't reinforce it. Anyone thinking, oh, free in Christ now? The New Testament doesn't, doesn't tell you that you can't commit bestiality. Did you know that? But the Old Testament does, and nothing's changed there, has it? Okay, and look, you, you might go, oh, well, that's a bit silly, they're sins. Well, the New Testament doesn't explicitly command you to chastise your children. Okay, it does say to bring them up in nurture and admonition of the Lord. But where do we go for all those verses about chastising our children? The book of Proverbs. But they're all timeless truths, aren't they? And, and so is paying God the first fruits. It's just a timeless truth of life from the very beginning until the very end. And do you know what the New Testament also never does? It never tells us to stop tithing. Okay, it never tells us to stop tithing. It tells us to stop other things to stop certain, you know, observances of what we eat, etc. But it never tells us to stop tithing. And let's look at an example in the New Testament. You've turned to Acts 4 then, and what the first church did in the absence of the priesthood. Okay, shall we see what the first church did in Acts 4? It says in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. The apostles were the leaders of this first church, yeah? And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and out of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money laid it at the apostles' feet. So, yes, the Levitical priesthood was well and truly over, but, but was giving to God over too? No. Now, obviously, this was unique circumstance, okay? This is uh, the first church in, in heavy persecution starting, you know, as we spoke about, I think, in the last sermon, I'll just speak out what a big deal this was. H however... And no one here, don't worry, you know, we're not trying to suddenly preach a new doctrine, you've got to bring everything you've got and lay it, you know, at the, at the feet of the church leader. And that, that's, that's not what we're trying to say, but what, what, what I am saying is that if people want to go, well, what happened in the New Testament? Or you could go to something that happened in the New Testament and go, wow, wait a second, that's, that's far beyond giving the first fruits of your increase to God, yeah? That's your whole lot, okay? That's your whole lot and all living basically with having all things common as you start that first church. Now... But here's the thing, how on earth would they have survived and the teaching, preaching continued without doing that? If, they, if they'd just gone, right, well, just nothing, God's just going to, something's going to appear from somewhere. The whole thing would have been, a, would, it would never have happened, would it? <coughs> this was a full-time church and everyone doing that meant that it thrived and the work of God abounded. And that's what's part of the point in tithing. So aside from the fact that it's just clear in scripture, okay, from the beginning of time that people just gave the first 10% back, despite the fact that we see it clearly, obviously, commanded in, 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 in the law as well. And then as we go through the Bible, we just see it in places like we were in Proverbs as well. Aside from all of that, we're going to look at some additional reasons. The title is, Why Do We Tithe? And number one, number one, aside from the fact that God tells us to, is because it furthers the work of God. Okay, tithing furthers the work of God. And, and there's a key point here, though, okay? Rocking up to the nearest false prophet and shoving a tenth of your in income in the offering plate isn't tithing. Okay, that's, the that, that's being a bad steward with God's money. Okay, you shouldn't be doing that. 
Yeah, look, that, that's ridiculous. You should have, there should be some diligence spent in thinking, right, well, where's, where's the work of God being done, okay? Where's God's house? How can I give to God? You know, and, and look, and it should be your local church. So look, if people are watching online or whatever, and, you know, in the future and they go to a church, look, we, we don't want your money, yeah? Give it to your local church. Yeah, if, if, and if you don't feel that that local church is the house of God, then why are you going there? You know, so I, I'm always a bit kind of wondering with people that on one hand, they're kind of, oh, well, I go to this church, but I send the money to here. It's like, well, why do you go to that church then? You know, don't, if, if the church isn't doing the work of God, go to a church that does and make a way of doing that. And that's a sermon for another time. But if you're here and you think, well, I don't think, you know, I don't think this is a place of God. Well, don't come here then. No, look, we don't want, we don't want, oh, well, just begrudgingly, go somewhere else. Yeah, go to a church that you can actually be a part of. Go to a church that you actually want to follow and be a part of. Not go to a church because, well, I've just got to tick that box. Look, that's not what church life is about, is it? And if, and if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't like the way you, you explain it. I don't like the way you preach this or do that or do that. You're not going to like everything, okay? If you don't, go somewhere else. Yeah, because ultimately what happens there, you just end up with an atmosphere forming, don't you? Because, look, I see, look, I know when people hate me, okay? I know, you'd be surprised what you see from up here. Yeah, people try and blame, you see it, okay? You see it, you see it with, in, in many ways, I've ex I, I had a lot of it going on for, the, for about a year and a half, whatever, till we kicked out a load of people that, that hated my guts, okay? And you see it, and there's no point sitting here. You might just go somewhere else. Oh, just please come and give us some money. No, go away. Yeah, we prefer to have a happy, healthy job. I prefer to just have to reduce everything we do. I prefer to not have half the things we lay on, not have half the meals we do, not have half the materials we give out, not have any of that stuff, and just have a church of people that are just solid and united behind the leadership and want to serve God. And, and if you're not like that, why are you here? Because ultimately all you're going to do is harm the work of God, right? Okay, now... On that as well, though, look, if you're here and you don't tithe and you don't believe it or whatever, for again, you're welcome to come here for the rest of your life, okay? We, we don't have a rule here. This isn't like a membership club. It's, it's not, you know, when the, the offering guys aren't coming and reporting to me afterwards, going, I noticed brother so-and-so didn't put anything in for the last month, you know? And I was like, all right, let's preach on his sin and we'll get him out, okay? Okay, that's not, that's not the point here. Look, if you don't want to tithe, you don't want to tithe. That's, there's no, like, there's no, you don't have to tithe here. Okay, however, I believe God wants you to tithe, okay? And we're going to carry on looking at that in a second. Because, like I said, it furthers the work of God. And without it, what would we be doing here? Without, so if no one here tithed, okay? And look, we've had some great faithful members of this church who just tithed from the beginning and onwards and people that have joined the church and everything else. Okay, if no one here tithed, we would be probably meeting in a park right now. This week was, wouldn't have been so bad. Last week, probably not so good, yeah? We, we wouldn't be going out for the meals that we go out. We wouldn't be having the food that we have here. We wouldn't be having half the materials that we have here. We wouldn't probably be able to afford an online, you know, service for those that can't get here. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have the heating that you have here. The baptisms would be, well, they wouldn't be stone cold here. They'd probably be stone cold in the sea somewhere. And obviously, you could think of more and more stuff, no minibus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So... So there's a lot of reasons. But turn to 1 Corinthians 9, because as we grow, eventually I'll have to go full time. Okay? And obviously, again, this is something the house church guys just don't understand. Because for them, they're just meeting up and having a little Bible study, so-called Bible study, drinking a bit of tea, telling each other that they're all very spiritual and then going home. But in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul explains this. He says this. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? 
have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? It's 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Now, so there are people trying to knock him, discredit him, question him, and look, that's just what happens, okay? You're trying to do things for God, you're preaching for God. You, I mean, he's doing amazing things for God, going around planting all these churches. People are going to try and find fault in him. He says, have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? So it's a rhetorical question. He's saying that, look, they, they have every right to get paid, don't they? Okay, he does have a right to do that. Like the other apostles, like James and Jude, I reckon he's talking about like Peter, who was an elder or pastor, okay? T to be able to provide for a family. Is, should he not be able to do that? He says, or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? And bear in mind, they were tent makers without families. That was their choice. And we see why he chose to do that and carry on working. One of the reasons is because people are just trying to find any fault they can in him. Yeah? He says in verse 7, who goeth the warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say are these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also, so he's going like, who, like, no one else just works and doesn't get something back for their work. And look, you know, again, I'm not a pastor yet, yeah, but I'll tell you what, there is no job like this. No, I've, I've done a lot of jobs, yeah, and I've been around people that have done a lot of different jobs. There is no job like it. And, and I, I don't have the responsibility that our pastor has, okay? And that will up as, as I have it. There's, you cannot compare it, honestly. You, I think people look at it and just think, oh, it must just be fun. You just kind of like write a few notes and get up and like have a bit of a shout about something that you fancy. It, it, like, it's, and I won't even go into it, but it's, there's so much to it. And it's such, it's such a pressure and stress on your family and everything else. Like you wouldn't, you, you, like it, it's nuts. And, and what you have is you have these people that think, oh yeah, well, they should just be doing it for free because it's the work of God. That's bizarre. It's bizarre because it's the most important job out there. They should be able to put ultimate, like maximum time into it. Does anyone look at our past and many others and go, no, they shouldn't be getting paid. Shouldn't, you know, how dare they get, no, that's ridiculous, isn't it? And they work harder than most people in most jobs out there and do and, and get the get get grief every day. People hating and wanting to hate, having to deal with all sorts of awkward issues, having people scrutinizing everything you say and all the stuff that goes with it and all the other things that go with it. And and, and there are people out there like should be free. Should be, but that's not what the Bible says. That's why Paul said all of this here, and he says. In verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plough in hope, that he that thresheth in hope should be potoke of this hope. So he's saying, look, like, you know, the law of Moses about the, about the ox was written for us. It's for us to go, yeah, look, you shouldn't be getting someone to work and not receive something for the work, you yeah? know? If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Carnal things being the money, and, and you know, the spiritual things are so important, aren't they? If others be partakers of this power of you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So they don't want people criticising them. Okay, they don't want people, oh, they just want your money, they're just getting paid, that's why they're doing it. No, that, and, and, he, and he didn't have a family, he was able to do this and, and, and what was just immense. I mean, he's travelling all over the place and doing all these, all, all these great works for God. And they were able to provide for themselves as well, okay? 
He said in verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so, the Lord ordained... What's happened? The Lord has ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Okay, that's pretty clear. Now, how on earth, how on earth would that work without tithing? How on earth would any of these people, any of these guys in all these churches, how on earth would they, would they be able to, to, to basically be paid and be able to provide for their families and everything else if there wasn't tithing? Yet there are so many people that are like, no, tithing's unbiblical, it's ridiculous. So where was that money coming from? It was not being magicked out of the air. He said, but I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. So, so like I said, how would that have worked? You don't have to turn to 1 Timothy 5.17, says in fact this, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in the word of doctrine. For the scripture said, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn and labour is worthy of his reward. So, like I said, do people look at these, do they look at these parts and go, they should be doing it for free? Many do, sadly. But then when you really get an understanding, look, believe me, I didn't have an understanding of really what they really do until I started doing this job okay and and many of us without and, and many people that are kind of here and regular and see the job and start to see things that you start to get an idea don't you and, and I'm not talking about like the, the two Bob Church down the road okay I'm not talking about the you know the the Bible college pastor who just kind of you know does does his couple of sermons they don't really do much and, and still they still got a hard job however it's very different isn't it when you when the more you do for God as a church the more soul winning ultimately it's going on for the church the more you're going to get attacked yeah as a pastor think like think the stuff that goes on with some of the pastors that many people here have listened to over the years be like pastor anderson pastor menez our pastor pastor thompson pastor shelley pastor mahir like that's something else that's above and beyond isn't it what they have to go through for this job and people seem to think that well or they think yeah they should get paid but i don't want to be the one that's paying towards god for that now like i said you're paying god you're not paying the pastor just to make that clear however how else is he going to get paid it says no, and then, sorry, what you have then is you have people that say this, go, no, it sh it, well, yeah, fine, but we just don't agree with tithing. It should be out of the goodness of your own heart. Everyone should just give a free will offering, right? Okay, but Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked who can know it. So what do you think that goodness of your heart's going to do? Stop paying money to the church. As soon as your sin's preached, oh, no, no, I'm not giving them that. You know, how dare he? You know, he just preached about something that he knew. He knew I was sitting there. He knew, he knew I was doing that. You know, how dare he? That, that's what happens, isn't it? And look, there are free will offerings, okay? But that's separate to paying God what we owe him, okay? Now, title, why do we tithe? Number one, because it furthers the work of God, okay? Surely that's, that's our goal, isn't it? That's our goal as Christians. We want the work of God. We want the gospel going out. We want a thriving, happy church where they're just doing great things, able to do all these different things. Ultimately, eventually, to be able to have someone who could commit full-time to doing that job and be able to put all that time and effort into the things of God, etc. Number two, though, because it benefits you. Because it benefits you. Go back to Proverbs 3 where we started. And just to make it clear, no, you're not going to multiply what you've given to God. Like, okay, well, as long as you give God £10, he's going to give you back £100, okay? No, that's not how it works. But what you will, or what at least you have, when you're doing things right and you're giving back to God what's his, it will go further. It will last longer, okay? That's what I see here, and, and that is what I've experienced. Now, I'm wary of standing up and going, I've experienced it, so I've experienced that, because a lot of people come and just, 
they think they've experienced something that they haven't, right? Okay, but when it matches up with the word of God, I don't see a problem with that, yeah? And here's an interesting thing with this, is that we're talking about the book of Proverbs here, yeah? You've got this book full of eternal wisdom, yeah? Applies to all time periods, doesn't it? And, and uh, for me, look, it's the most practical book in the Bible, isn't it? Okay, so much practical help, advice, instruction that you get from the book of Proverbs. And I, I, I just thought when I, was, when I made these notes, I said, can I think of any proverb that doesn't apply to us now, that you can't get application for today? Can anyone think of one? I can't think of anything which is like, oh no, well that's really just for the Old Testament now. Everything seems to have an application. It's just this eternal wisdom, isn't it? In this book of 31 chapters. And then you've got this book of Proverbs, which gives us this clear truth about giving back to God the first fruits of income. Let's have a look from verse 1. It says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Yeah, that sounds good to me, doesn't it? Length of days, long life, peace. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favour and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. That sounds good to me as well. Honour the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. No, that was Old Testament. Nothing to read there. Get the first bit. I like the first bit. Cut out those two verses. That's Old Testament. Let's move on, yeah? Nothing to see here. Does anyone believe that? No, of course not. Did Solomon say some of thine increase, though? Did he say only what you got paid by your employer? Did he say that? Did he say only what grows in the ground? Have you heard these? I don't know, there's, there's some of them. They go, it's only for what grows. The tithe is only what grew in the ground. No, it's not, okay? In Leviticus 27, there's actually, you don't have to tell it, but there's a rule about redeeming your offering. Okay, and then, and then paying extra, you pay an extra fifth if you've redeemed it. Basically, if you've gone, look, I want to have that for myself, I want to eat that, I'm just going to give money instead. Okay, and then you have to pay an extra bit for that yourself. <clears throat> but it isn't just only what grew, only because, and it's not only what, look, for me, and, and this is something I've, I've lived by, is that if I receive money, I give, I give the tithe to God. Okay, and, and I, I continue to do this to this day. Oh, but don't you, you know, you, you, you work at the church. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever I get, it's just a timeless truth. Whatever I receive, 10% goes to God. Whatever I earn, whatever I get, whatever. And for me, look, and again, look, again, it's not comfortable saying this stuff. And again, it's up to you, okay? Again, you could come in, never tithe, never pay a penny here, come here. We want you here, okay? We want you in the house of God, okay? That's not an issue, okay? However, it's between you and God, and we're going to see here that I think it really affects your relationship with God. But for me, look, whether it's, whether it's inheritance, whether it's whatever it is, I've just always given 10% to God. Because that's my increase, isn't it? That's what I've increased, that's what I give to God. Now, on the flip side of that, and people ask these sorts of questions, if I've, if I've paid money on my, on my gross income, yeah, so I pay on, so I just pay on everything I, I, I earn, I give 10%. Now, if I then pay tax after that and I get a tax rebate, well, I've already tithed that money, haven't I? So the tax rebate is just you getting a refund. 
It's like if I paid money, you then got a refund from some company that I bought something. I don't go, oh, right, I better give that 10%. Like that, that's beyond then, isn't it? Now, if you want to give that, great, you know? If you want to do that out of, a, out of a giving heart, look, God loveth a cheerful giver, okay? However, for the tithe, you're just paying back what you've received from God, ultimately, in, 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 you know, in, in your increase, and you just give back the 10%. Now, <clears throat> honour is something that God should automatically receive, isn't it? Yeah, honour the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. And when you do that, <clears throat> it says your barns are filled with plenty. Okay, that's enough for you, isn't it? Plenty, it's just plenty, more than enough for you. And your presses shall burst out, well, with the good stuff. For me, the fresh juice here, okay? You're just going to, look, new wine, that's, that's the good, that's the fresh stuff, yeah? Now, that's not a bad deal, is it? If you think about it like that, like God's not exactly going to you, right, you need to give me 95% of your income and somehow you've got to scrape by. Yeah, like I could understand people would be, okay, this is a bit tricky, yeah, okay? But he's not, is he? He's saying, he's saying you give me what I, what I tell you to give. You give me 10% and I'm actually going to bless you for that. And things are going to go well for you because of that. And look, that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? And I'm, look, and I'm not preaching a health, wealth, prosperity here. But what I've experienced in life is that times when I haven't tithed, and yeah, I'll put my hands up. There have been times at, at previous churches where I've had periods where I've just found it hard. Again, where I, and really, I should have just got okay. If I really doubt that church, I should have stopped going to that church. If I got to the point where where I knew that it was wrong and that that you know and that I shouldn't have been giving money to that church, and then I should have been either giving it to a church that I knew 100% and ultimately make your way of getting to that church, yeah. But however, I, you know, the flesh does this stuff, doesn't it? So it's going, oh, I don't know if I should give that money to that. And do you know what happened in my life? Just everything started breaking. <laughs> it just it's like bottomless pit of money, just just going. It's just like you know the. the how many dishwashers we ended up going through, you know? <laughs> Washing machines, car issues, you know? It's like, how does that even break, you know? Just what happens? Now, look, I'm not saying if you pay that, oh, right, that's it, now all the money's going to come in, write checks with your names on it, and, and it's all just going to come in. No, that's not what the Bible says. But however, I do believe that, well, we're going to see it in a second, because, because therefore the devourer is not going to come and basically destroy what you do have. Okay, so... And again, like I said, if you don't think it's going to God's work here, well, go to a church where you think it is, you know? And, and look, keep a finger here, okay? Go to Malachi 3, where we're going to look at this. Because you can have your barns filled with plenty. Alternatively, God threatens chastisement. So you kind of like, it's kind of a bit of... And there might be people sitting here thinking, yeah, this is starting to make sense to me because I, I, I thought I was earning enough, yeah? But for some reason, I just never have enough and I'm not tithing. And everything just seems to go wrong. And I would just say to you, just try him out. Like, prove him. He wants you to prove him with this. And if not, you know, then, well, then, then the Bible's wrong and I'm wrong, okay, for preaching the Bible. Malachi 3 and verse 8. The tithe haters like, oh, well, this was to the priest. Well, we're all priests here, okay? We're all part of the priesthood. And, and if they mean leadership, oh, well, no, 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 well, it's leadership, then, yeah, I would say this is definitely a warning to wicked pastors, etc., that would rob God. And look, if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you believe the Bible and you believe the Word of God... And you should therefore fear God as well. And you and look, and you're standing behind a pulpit like here, just trying to fleece people. Like that is wicked, yeah. And you're going to get an absolute whooping, okay. And and look, there have been people that do that. Probably a lot of them are unsaved. They probably are. Look, people still have the flesh. They're probably greedy, covetous people out there. But like that is that's a big deal, isn't it? 
you're going around trying to fleece the flock and do it for your own gain. But what does it, what does it say here? It says, will a man rob God? But ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that it may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. Like I said, I definitely feel like I've experienced this. I know other people I've spoken to before in this room have said the same. Verse 11 says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So the alternative is what? Things just go wrong. Now you might be going, go, wait a second, I haven't tithed. You know, I, I'm still doing all right. I'm pretty flush. Yeah, but I, I just feel like, look, and it's not necessarily, I don't think it's always necessarily going to hit your, hit your pocket. Maybe it's going to be other ways as well, but... It's what, what, what I see in the Bible there. It's not just there, okay? Because we're going to see it again as well back in Proverbs 3. Things just go wrong. It says in verse 12, and all nations shall call you. Also, by the way, God is long-suffering. If you, are, if you haven't heard this sort of preaching, you're kind of maturing as a Christian. But look, once, once you know what the Word of God says, look, God wants you to get right, okay? He says, it says, um, and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, okay, so that's a nation. Oh, no, no. Wait a second, brother Ian. It's talking about a nation. That was just, just to the children of Israel. Uh, who's replaced Israel? Who replaced Israel? Yeah, replacement theology. Is that, you notice how all the doctrines just seem to need to like go hand in hand, don't they? So much of the Bible doesn't kind of work without replacement theology. So much of the Bible doesn't seem to work without the reprobate doctrine. And so many of these things which so many of these kind of just lame churches seem to just can't seem to get from the text. But... No, we've replaced, we've replaced, our church has replaced Israel, okay? This church is, look, God's looking down and seeing Israel, and I want a blessed church. I want to delight some land. I want a church where we're able to do things, where we're able to have good events and functions, and able to do more for God, and able to get the gospel out more, and able to do extra things on the side, and start adding more ministries and everything else. That's what I want. I want a church which is able to plant other churches, and be able to afford to even kind of get out there and do stuff, and, and get on with things. That's what I want. I want a church doing things for God. Go back to Proverbs 3, where Solomon goes straight from honouring God to chastisement. Like we've just seen, a th uh, we saw a threat here in Malachi 3, and back in Proverbs 3, we see in verse 9, he said, Honour the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And then he said, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So if God likes you like he says he does, then he's going to chastise you when you disobey him, isn't he? That's what the Bible says. And he does threaten that. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 23. So Exodus chapter 23. Because the command of giving to God is often followed by a warning. So Exodus chapter 23... And from verse 16, we see the same as we've just seen here. We've seen like that, give to God. And then he starts talking about chastisement. Exodus 23 and verse 16 says, 
um, Exodus 23, 16 says, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labours, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labours out of the field, three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversary. So like we've just seen in Proverbs 3, again, we've got that bring that first fruits, bring the first fruits, then it's like, beware, because look, if you, if you don't obey what I'm telling you to do, you're going to get a whoopie. And that's, that's a warning. That's a warning that I've got to give you, haven't I? And like, like I said, I, I, I don't enjoy preaching this, yeah? This isn't one of those, like, yeah, you know, smash the fool. This isn't like last week. Just smash that wicked, false prophet, cross-dressing sod, yeah? No, this isn't... But, but look, you, people need to be warned of this, don't they? Need to be warned what the Word of God says about this. So, um, back to Proverbs 3. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to do things right. So it's not like, oh, God just wants to punish you. No, he just wants you to do things right, okay? And, and, and that was back by, that was early on, Exodus 23 there. <clears throat> but we're going back to Proverbs 3, and, and the title is, Why Do We Tithe? Aside from the fact that, that, for me, it's just a clear commandment in the Bible. Number one, because it furthers the work of God. Number two, because it benefits you. And number three, because it helps fight covetousness. It helps fight covetousness. Verse 13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. So wisdom and understanding is better than wealth, better than treasure. It adds years to your life and really adds to you the true riches and honour. Okay, that's what I see there. He said in verse 7, fear the Lord, depart from evil. Verse 9, to honour the Lord with thy first fruits. Verse 11, to not hate the punishment of God. And then he says, get wisdom and understanding instead of focusing on your wealth. And for me, look, tithing just helps people to get their priorities straight, doesn't it? They learn to put God first, don't they? When you're tithing, you just learn, right, okay, well, God comes first, yeah? Before anything else, look, for me, second, look, before I'm even going, can I pay for this? Can I, will this even work? Before I'm plotting, planning, and working out what I can do with this money and whether or not I'm going to be able to afford to do this or get that, for me, the first thing I do is pay God his 10%. Every time I get paid, 10% goes to God. Then I work out what happens after that. That's a good principle to get into, isn't it, you know? He comes first. And when he comes first financially, guess what? He's more likely to come first in other areas of your life as well, isn't he? If he's the first, the first thing you do is, right, I pay God, he's, he, he comes first. And in the other areas of your life, he's more likely to come first as well. Now turn to 1 Timothy 6, because what's the issue with so many of these tithe haters? It's covetousness. Okay, it's, it's greed a lot of the time, and really it's covetousness. And again, I'm not talking about giving money to lame churches and false prophets, Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you're not in church, you should get into church, okay? That's, that's clear as day. However, 1 Timothy 6 says in verse 6, but godliness, 1 Timothy 6, 6, 
but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Did it say that they that are rich? No, or did it say they that will be rich? It's people whose goal is riches. It's people who focus on getting wealthy. It's a trap, and it results in people disobeying God, doesn't it? Affecting the work of God, affecting their own blessings, and then putting money above God. And some people might be like, look, I don't want to be rich, but I just want to pay the bills, brother, in. Like, look, I don't know if I can even afford to tithe. Well, he said, prove him, didn't he? He just said, look, prove me, try me, test me. That's what he's saying. And, and, and believe me, I, I've, look, I've been, on, I've been on the hard end of this. I, I don't know if I can make this month. And I paid the tithe and just something works out. Things work out. It says here in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And that's what we should be following after. Money can easily become some sort of God, can't it? For so many it's a God. Colossians 3, 5, though, says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, because what happens is money goes here, God goes here. Okay, it becomes an idol, it becomes a false God. And that's something that we want to avoid. And you know what? Giving your first 10% to God, for me, straight away puts him up here and the money down here, doesn't it? Okay, and that's something, look, we're told to flee it. Okay, we're told to flee covetousness. Covetousness is a snare, it's a trap. Okay, and, and just tithing itself, aside from everything else, will help you with that because in our, look, in this day and age, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's all about money, all about, like, people, people just go up to you and just ask you outright, what does your job pay? Okay, so what do you earn from that? Okay, so, so is that well paid? Is that, it's just all money. Everything's about money, isn't it? And people, look, people who, who try to claim that they're not, all about money still you can tell they're all about money and it's all people think they're impressing you by what they've spent what they've bought what they own what they have what but it, look, it's not important is it because the love of money is the root of all evil you know having food and raiment let us be there with content so giving the first 10 percent of it straight to god does help to put it in the correct place in our life doesn't it now go back to proverbs 3 where he shows us the result of this wisdom and understanding this lack of covetousness Honouring the Lord, trusting in him with all thine heart, leaning not unto our own understanding. He says this in verse 21. He says, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Look, would anyone trade, trade all of that to have a bit of extra cash? Would you, oh, well, yeah, forget all that. Forget the peace, the safety, the lying down and everything else. I just want to have some extra money. Because I, I say to you, look, for me, if you're not tithing, then can you, are you really going to get these promises from God? It's in the same breath almost, isn't it? And he's saying, look, when you're doing things, the wisdom that he's teaching you to do all these things, then you're going to get all these things. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, I need this money. But 
Are you really going to lie down there and just feel, yeah, I'm, my sleep is sweet. I'll tell you, when you're, not, when you're not doing the things that God wants you doing, your sleep's not really sweet, is it? Unless you're wicked. <laughs> but then you can have some sweet sleep because, you know, it's not going to be a good end for you. But jump forward to verse 33. It then says, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. Okay, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And, and that all sounds pretty good to me. And if you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I'm a bit off with this, brother Ian, you know, or maybe I've kind of, I'm a bit on and off with it, or maybe, look, you might be sitting here going, I don't believe any of what you said now. I think like, that was all wrong. Look, that's up to you. Like I said, we still want you here. We, 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 look, I have no idea, you know, who pays what. I've got no interest. That's not something I want to know. I've got no log of it or anything else. We, you know, that's between you and God. But maybe you were sitting here going, <clears throat> well, that kind of starting to make a bit of sense. I actually thought that you were just kind of like going fishing and opening up the fish's mouths and taking coins out. And that's how this church was was working you know I've now I've started to realize that this is it goes towards the work of God and everything else okay but I don't know what to do now I don't know if I look I've got a budget and everything else well I'd say to do like he said in Malachi 3:10. he said bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that may be meet in mine house and prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there shall not be room enough to receive it and for me what we've just read there all those kind of just having peace be able to sleep properly having you know not being in fear and all that is all part of those blessings that you get from God when you're doing things how God wants you to do and, and that's what we saw in Proverbs 3 and verses 9 to 10 where he said honour the Lord with thy substance with the first fruits of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine look there's some pretty bold promises yeah and, and you know for me I've proved him with this I think many people have as well look yeah we're not we're not all driving up turning up here in in you know in Ferraris and things I don't think anyone is anyway. Maybe they're parking around the corner, you know. And, and, but none of that's important, isn't it? Is it? But you know, when you're doing things for God and you're doing everything and you've got like a, a clear conscience with him, it doesn't all feel good, doesn't it? You know, it does feel good. And, and obviously there are other aspects of the Christian life. Okay, I tithe, but I do nothing else, you know. I just wire the money to, like, to a good church and then the rest of the time we're just living in like kind of wickedness. No, obviously there are other areas of it as well. But this is a key area of the Christian life. I know it's not, it's not a pleasant sermon to necessarily preach. However, look, it, it is something that does need preaching now and again. People need reminding of it, especially with all the attacks out there. And they've become a bit more crafty, some of these attacks, like I said, and try and be a bit subtle and clever about how they try and convince you that it's not biblical. For me, I think it clearly is biblical. Um, I hope I've shown you that, Stan. I hope and I've given you a bit of encouragement with it for, those, for everyone here that's just like, yeah, no, you know, I'm, I'm tithing and thank you. But hopefully people are thinking, thank you, because that's helped me with that, because I'm starting to wonder a bit. I'm seeing all these attacks or... You know, sometimes you think, oh, is it all worth it? Look, God says it's worth it. Yeah, God says it's worth it. I know that I believe it's worth it. Um, and on that, we're going to finish up in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you for all the, you know, many just faithful church members we've had here that, that just just have just faithfully, you know, given back to you what, what, what you've told us to give you. Thank you that... You know that, that you make it clear in your word and that, that not only do you just tell us to give back to you but also that you then bless us for doing so and and you know we, we don't it's not that we deserve that it's not that oh well you know i'm such a good person because i give money to you it's just because 
you know, you, you're so, you're so kind, you're so just, just merciful to all of us. Uh, not only have you given us a free gift of salvation, but when we honour you with the first fruits of our increase, you also bless us. And thank you for that. Thank you for for just, you know, being here with this church. Thank you for for helping this church to be where it is today. To to have this building, to have all the many things we have here that wouldn't be possible we don't have some you know church somewhere some big mega church is sending us money and and everything else we just we just rely on god's people um giving back to you so that the work of god can continue we <clears throat> thank you for everyone here we thank you for this church um lord we, we pray that you just help us go out and and get people saved and also to add to this church as well and in return for this evening's service in jesus name for all of this amen